Let me read this section, and I'll be able to draw some conclusions from the Philippians chapter one. Let me read this section for us. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know what I will choose. But I am hard pressed between the two, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your reason for boasting may abound in Christ Jesus in me through my coming to you again. We have been studying the Philippians for a while. Today's sermon is twenty-sixth sermon for me. For you, it might be twenty-sixth sermon, but for me, it has been twenty-six weeks. Preparing this and living with the Word, what a joy and privilege it is for me to read and preach this great Philippians. We have reached the top portion in verse twenty-one. That was the highest peak in chapter one, and I believe in the Philippians too for many reasons. If you can truly confess, chapter one, verse twenty-one, you will have nothing to fear in this world. Nothing. You know how many ta- how many people go to see doctors for their anxiety problems, medications, panic attacks, breakdowns, sleeping pills. I hope you wrestle with verse twenty-one, and I hope you own it. You cannot simply say "Amen." You have to live with it. You have to internalize it, and we need to grow into that verse. So, for me, chapter one, verse twenty-one was the highest peak. You know what happens when you when you encounter such a verse in your preaching and reading. And that's what I've seen. You want to jump into the next famous verse.、Um, I want to preach chapter two: Christ emptying Himself. But I realize that we cannot live our lives jumping from the mountain top to mountain top,、uh, being excited about the new theology and new learnings, though they are important. There's a committee for pastoral care. There's a committee set within the OPC that wants to take care of pastors. 
which is a good thing, a great thing. So I've been watching some of the videos that they put up. And it was one of those uh, videos that I was watching, and one minister says, one of the great sayings that he heard when he was young, and he treasured it ever since, was this, for pastors. Pray, preach, and persevere. And I thought, what a wonderful phrase that is. Pray, preach, and persevere. The last one. Our Christian lives, most of the times, we live in that perseverance. It's not as exciting. It could be like grinding day to day, just being faithful in it. But that's how you finish the race. So today, as I've been meditating upon these verses, I believe this is the case. If you would ask Paul, Paul, what do you mean? What do you mean? I've, even though I've preached on it for a couple of Sundays, what do you mean by to live is Christ and to die is gain? Because that kind of grand saying, we kind of understand. But in practical terms, so am I asking those questions? So what does that mean for me? What do you mean to live is Christ? How can I apply it in my life? I think probably he will say the following. And that's exactly what I found in these verses. So let's look at these verses and think of it as his own commentary on verse 21. It is, they are flowing out of verse 21. This is how you live your life and say to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you would look at verse 23 and verse 24, first thing, first point that I want to make is person who owns chapter 1 verse 21 is that person who denies himself or herself and follows Christ. In what way? Verse 23 says, he says, having the desire to depart. Verse 24, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Christian who owns chapter 1 verse 21 is not someone who is seeking martyrdom. It might be that in different contexts. But chapter 1, verse 21, owning Christian will deny himself and follow Christ. But in what way? In these ways. You have, you have your desire. His desire was to depart and to be with Christ. And he says that is very much better. Three times. Three different words. Not far better. He says very much better. That's his desire, his desire. But what does he see? He sees what is necessary for your sake. That your is the church. So he is someone who is killing himself, his own desires and his own dreams, dying to himself, 
but also discerning what is necessary, what is lacking in the body of Christ. So if you confess chapter 1 verse 21, you cannot disassociate your life, pull yourself apart from the church. And you may say, Sam, that's what I expect you to say as a, as a pastor. But that's, I believe, what the text really is saying. What kind of life? I'd rather die and be with Christ. But when I see you, I see the need. So it is necessary for me to remain in the flesh for your sake. Think about that. That's very, very difficult thing to do. By and large, most of the people will simply choose what they desire. And more spiritual you are, your eyes will be able to see what is lacking in the body of Christ. Because as we have been saying, to live is Christ basically means living for Christ. And then last Sunday, he is Christ-filled person. His life on, in the flesh is his life for the church. You cannot separate that. Sacrifice, service, faithfulness, all unto Christ and his glory and the church. It's not so much that you should serve in the church, though I can say that. But I think, really, when you think about it, the starting point for a Christian life is that great verse 121. You start from there. You have to start from there. Rarely people start from serving and they go into loving Christ such a degree that he or she would say to live is Christ. You have to begin from that verse 21. So think about if God shows you, this is not trying to make you feel guilty. As you all know and as I know as I've been ministering, it is not by appealing to people's emotions. To make them feel bad or feel guilty and, and expecting them to serve the body of Christ. It, it, it doesn't happen that way. My prayer is that God will show you His grace. Open your eyes to verse 21. You wrestle with it. And you look at your own life, you will discover your desires. But at the same time, what is necessary? It could be necessary for your family, extended family, but it will also include church. So may God work in your heart with that verse. May the Holy Spirit induce you to own verse 21 and, and really flow out of that heart. And I hope and pray you will also say to remain and the flesh is necessary for your sake. That's really 121 kind of life. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Paul, what kind of life would that be? 
In verse 25, he says something very interesting, and it takes some time to understand what he is saying. Verse 25 says, And convinced of this, what? Referring to verse 24. To remain on in the flesh is more, necess- more necessary for your sake. So I am convinced of it. And he says something interesting here. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, he says. So you have to stop and think about what, what is he saying? Up until now, he's been saying, you know, whether death or by life, Christ will be magnified in my body. And now in verse 25, he says, I know I will continue, remain, and continue with you all. So somehow he now knows that he's not going to die. He will not be executed. Where did that come from? So if you look at the commentaries, people say two things. There, there was some kind of special revelation. God told him. But it is to nullify that what he has just said a few verses back. I don't think that's what he is saying. But I do believe by saying these verses in his mind, spirit-filled mind, he was, as he was convinced of it, what he says, I know that I will remain, really is a spirit-filled speech. It's not, he's not saying, I know that I'm not going to be executed. God told me. I don't think so. And best way to put it is this. I'm just going to quote someone. He says, confident of this, that what he's been talking about, confident of this, that his presence will also advance their faith and give them joy. Paul looks to God as the one who will deliver him from prison and from execution. I think that's, that's well said. That statement, I know that I will remain, is not infallible knowledge that I know I'm not going to die. But in a sense, it is his prayer. He's looking to God. God, I see the need for your church. And I know by faith that I will remain for their sake in a prayerful way. Where does that confidence come from? From the Holy Spirit, provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and the prayer of the saints, and his own Belief and faith. That's, I think, the right way to see. I know that I will remain. If I could apply that to us, to you individually, 121 owning Christian will say faith-filled statements. We have seen enough of televangelists on TV to be skeptical. When someone shows up and says everything is going to be okay, blessings, blessings upon blessings, we become skeptical. And I do understand that. But I think what Paul is doing here is that spirit-filled faith-filled statement that we should be speaking. You are not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. So we shouldn't give someone a false hope. So we are so afraid to say something positive. 
If someone's really sick, you are immediately asking, what if God does not heal him or her? So you, you, you are so afraid to say anything. What if God doesn't work? What if God doesn't save him? What, what if God doesn't heal him or her? But as I've been thinking about this, you and I may not be able to say and give them some kind of false hope. I do believe we Christians, we have a unique Christian outlook that is fundamentally hopeful. You don't have to prophesy. You don't have to tell that person whether or not he or she is going to be redeemed from that situation. You may, you may not. But what I am saying is, when you are full of the Word and the Spirit of God, you carry in your body dying of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and just, the, just that hopeful outlook, hope-filled outlook, will come out of your mouth and it will be good for you to give people such hope. You and I come to church and by the grace of God, you are hearing some kind of promises from God. To function as a covenant member in the covenant community, God gives two things, promises and demands. And we hold on to them both. But think about the world outside of the church. What do they have? What do they have when they hear from the doctor that you do not have many months? What do you think they have? There, there really is nothing to go on. Nothing to hold on to. We as Christians, we have so many words of God. But people outside of church, they, there is nothing. And you come alongside and you say hopeful things, that will very much be an, an opening of that salvation process for that person. So I pray that we could err on the side of hope. Sinclair Ferguson said this to many ministers. It is not many words that the Lord uses, but the words spoken in faith. So we could apply that, this section. I know that I will remain in this way. When you pray, pray in faith. Don't just say words. As you utter your words, Exert faith upon those words. When you preach, uh, I'm preaching. When I preach, like he says, and to preach in faith in such a way that people of God will hear these words and they will be changed from one degree to another. Talk in faith. I think that's the meaning of First Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Whoever speaks as one speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one serving by the strength which God supplies. 
so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and might forever and ever. He's not saying pretend as though God is speaking through you. Pretend as though you are serving with the might or power of strength of God that he supplies. It's not pretending. But by exercising faith when you speak, speak as though God is speaking. Serve by faith as though you're serving with the might that God supplies. Going back to school will require some adjustments from us, but we could apply these hope-filled words when we speak. Do not say hopeless words. If you look at verse 25, the second half, he says, I will remain and continue with you for what purpose? He says, for your progress and joy in the faith. You see what I'm saying? This is so unremarkable way of saying things that people do not pay attention. He says, I'll remain for your progress and joy in the faith and we think obviously and we move on. But what is important about this is that if God lets me live, if I'm not executed, if I get out of this jail, I'm going to go to you and I'll remain with you, the Philippian church, for what? He simply says, for your progress and joy in the faith. So we have to take that as the essence of Christian faith. That is fundamental for, for us, for Christians. Why do I exist for you, but in what sense? For your progress and joy in the faith. Why do you exist and why did God give you all the gifts so that you could serve other people for their progress and for joy in the, in the faith? That's the meaning of Christian life. Progress and joy mixed up together and if that's the essence of Christian faith, you could ask yourself this question. And that's a good checkup on your Christian life, spiritual life. Progress and joy in the faith. Are you? Simple as that. Are you joyful in your Christian walk? Are you progressing in your Christian life? He says that. That's why I exist and we expect him to say, you know, when I get out, we are going to build a largest Christian institution. We are going to send missionaries all over the world, to the Spain, to the South, everywhere. We are going to write books and everything else. It may be that, but fundamentally speaking, it could be an empty gesture unless you and I progress and find joy in the faith. I hope and pray that you think about that. Recently for me, 
past three Sundays, two Sundays have been very important for me uh, as I've been preparing. There is, at least in my life, there is that, that joy, that unspeakable joy. Finally, I think I'm getting it. What it means to preach and study. That's me, but I hope that will be the case for you. Joy is an important part in your Christian life. Because you take that out, you're empty. You are a shell. There's nothing in it. Joy in the faith. Final one is this. As we have seen last Sunday, but also today, their progress and joy in the faith They are not the ultimate goal. Ultimate goal is verse 26, that your boasting may abound in Christ Jesus in me. Again, he does not separate himself from Jesus. We know boasting in something else is forbidden. You do not boast in your own self or your works. We boast in the Lord. But it is ultimately coming back to Christ boasting, glorying, or exalting in Christ Jesus. So it's not about your growth, or it's not even about your joy in the faith, though that is essential and there's an essence of Christian life. Ultimately, it is for glorying in Christ Jesus. And, and that's correct. That's the omega part. All that we do in and for Christ, going back to school, rebuilding the church, for what? For what are we doing that? So that we could exalt in Christ Jesus. That's why. That's the goal. He gets all the glory, but we get to enter into the joy of our Master. Inseparable. We glorify God. There is that joy within you. I'll make the conclusion. Do you remember a long time ago when I began the Philippians last year? My initial quest for that portion was to answer this question. What was the secret of Paul's life, success, endurance in prison. Because in the COVID time, we were basically boxed in. If we go back soon to school, it would be in first time in three years that we are going back. Three years. That's been a long time. How can you survive imprisonment. At least none of us are imprisoned in such a fashion. But our situation past few years really made me think about prison letters. What what was he thinking? How did he survive knowing Paul, energetic Paul? What did he do? What did he think about? And 
Last week was very clear to me, and today, this week, basically, I could make the conclusion. I know there are a few more verses in chapter one, but as far as that quest is concerned, I have my answer. The answer is by faith in Christ Jesus. That's the answer. Last week was eye-opening when we examined all the portions, sections where he talks about Christ. He is overcoming his situation, health, hunger, loneliness, lack of support, friends, damp and cold prison. He cannot do anything. He cannot go out and preach. But he said in the beginning, there is that greater progress of the gospel. How and why? He is simply being Paul. By exercising faith in Christ Jesus, what happened? He says, people are preaching Christ without fear, and that's what he's rejoicing about. Whether by death or life, Christ will be magnified. To live is Christ and to die is gain, and I will remain for your sake, for your progress and joy in the faith, So even though he is sitting in that cell in whatever circumstance, kingdom of God is expanding. He is not only surviving, but thriving. And how and why? There was no magic formula or pill that I found. But he will constantly reform everything and anything in terms of Christ. So by faith, not simply having greater faith, that's not it. The key was, by exercising his faith in Christ Jesus. But that's the key. And when you have that faith in Christ Jesus, situation, the circumstance doesn't matter. Whether there is another, whether there is going to be another shutdown, whether we'll be forbidden from the school, whether we have lack of anything, you and I, in those times, what we must do is to exercise our faith in Christ Jesus. You may say that's an obvious thing, but if you've been following what we have been discussing. I believe it makes sense. There's a very important verse, 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith.
by going deeper into Christ, as Christ himself invited us into his life, and as we have seen in the baptism, and as I see from Paul, what was he thinking about in prison? Christ was everything. Christ was everything. And by submitting to God's will, but at the same time exercising his faith, he is influencing the world outside of him in the prison. Our answer is to go deeper into Christ. Start digging into him. I told you I don't have an exact answer how to. But you start digging into Christ, that's the only way. That's the solution. And I know it does not happen by a casual living, coming to church, though I'm very thankful, once a week. You and I need to do much more than that. Once again, serving is the fruit of your love for Christ. You don't start from serving. So I hope and pray that we'll go deeper into Christ and exercise our faith in and through Jesus Christ. He's the way and the truth and the life. He's able. And He will take care of you. And only us Christians, we could say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. With that mindset, go deeper into Christ. That's your answer. That's how we survive. And may God be glorified through our lives in that way. Let's pray.